Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I am joined today by an amazing guest. He is someone who has been um, in the travel industry for, gosh, 20 plus years. Uh, Started his early career at Thomson way back when. And um, also had roles at Orbitz as um, director for Europe, Middle East and Africa. Orbitz is now part of Expedia. Um, He then went on to came back to TUI and climbed the ladder uh, pretty significantly. And so he was the managing director of products and purchasing for the whole of the TUI group. And more recently, he's currently the CEO of EasyJet Holidays. So I am delighted to welcome Welcome the phenomenal Gary Wilson to the podcast. Thank you, Jeanette. It's great to be here. I'm sorry I can't be in Mallorca. I'm I'm zooming in from rainy Glasgow. I can see it's not raining where you are. <laughs> Indeed. Well, this is the power of technology, but um, no, it's great that you're able to join from Gary. all the way from Glasgow. Um, so, Gary, I think a good place to start, if you don't mind, would be if you could just take us through your journey, kind of where you started out in life and, and kind of up to the point where you are today, really. That would be amazing if that's cool with you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I was thinking about this earlier in, um, in kind of where I've got to and why, why I went into travel and why I stayed in travel. And when I was, when I was a lot younger, I, I grew up in a very, very small town in Scotland, um, not far from where I am in Glasgow at the moment. And um, we used to take our holidays to, um, to, to places. That, I think the, the furthest afield we went was Great Yarmouth, which was like a six-hour drive in a Ford Capri with me, my brother, my mom and dad, a dog, and the suitcases on the roof. And I would, I would always hear of people going to these glamorous places, you know, like Mallorca and Ibiza, and be hugely jealous of, of their ability to go there. And, and, and you know, I was going to Great Yarmouth. Um, so, so it really, from a very early age, I was interested in travel and I wanted to get into travel. And I think that, you know, as I kind of grew up in that town, it was a, a town that relied very, very much on steelworking. It was a, a big, big steelworking town. And when they closed the steelworks, it kind of went from a kind of 85% employment to 85% unemployment overnight. And really to see the kind of um, social and economic deprivation that happened there, when I was kind of in my my early kind of early teens it it really put a rocket up me so you know what you're gonna have to work really hard if you want to get out of this and if you want to get on and that kind of spurred me on I think to to kind of stick in at school and to get to university and try to get a good degree um so so I had that installed to be very very early on I think as a result of kind of growing up in, in a place like that um, and I went to Edinburgh University, um, which was, was when you come from a really small town on the west coast of Scotland, Edinburgh at the time felt to be probably like Bangkok feels now. You know, I couldn't believe that I was going to live in this huge metropolis, you know, where they have things like, you know, Tesco and, and Pizza Hut. <laughs> it was hugely exotic to me. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I went to Edinburgh. I absolutely loved it. I did a business degree with languages and really, really loved it. I loved, the, I loved living in a city. I loved, you know, the, the, whole, the whole education piece. And I just loved the opportunities that it kind of opened up. 
Um, and, and, and after that, after my degree, um, I, I probably loved Edinburgh a bit too much, actually, at university a bit too much. They say you should get the life work balance right. I probably did the, the kind of life bit a bit too much. And um, I, I remember at the time um, when I... When, when I was ready to, to, to leave in, in my last year, they did the milk round. I'm sure they still do the milk round now. And of course, everyone at the time wanted jobs with Guinness or Unilever or, you know, the kind of big, the big FMCG. And, and I didn't really apply myself much to get the jobs. Um, and I, I got an interview, I remember, with Guinness. But it's funny, actually. It's, um, it, it was my first, my first lesson in my career not to lie, because you'll get caught out. Um, and I went to the interview, and apparently they had had a, a, like an away day thing, or they had an open day where you could go and learn about the company. Um, and, and as I went there, they said, oh, did you come to the open day? And of course, I didn't. I couldn't be asked. So I, I hadn't bothered going. I said, oh, yeah, I did, I did go there. And he said, oh, so how would, you, how would you answer the problem that we talked about that business is facing? And I thought, oh, Christ. Um, and I kind of babbled my way through and he said, you didn't come to the other day, did you? I said, no, I didn't. So let's, let's finish the interview here. So actually that, that was quite a good lesson for me. And, and, and I did get around a job in the mill round, a job with British Steel, which wasn't really my first choice. You know, I didn't see myself as a steel worker. It's interesting because my family and, 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 and I think people in the town I grew up with thought, oh God, he's gone into the steel. You know, he's been to the steel industry you now where we started, but it was more out of kind of that was what was left at the end as opposed to anything else. And um, my, my job there as a graduate trainee um, was in Ebervale in the Welsh Valleys. And I remember um, I bought a little car and moved to Cardiff. And as I started my first day at work um, with my next directory suit on and I was driving my new car, which seemed like for hours and hours into the countryside. And then I saw this billowing steelwork. God, this is where I'm going to be working for the rest of my career. And, and probably by the end of the first week, I thought, still working's not for me. And again, it was, a good, it was a good lesson to me to say, you know, get yourself stuck in and actually control this rather than it control you. Mm. And, and from that time, I was determined that at the next round, I would get into the job I wanted. And um, I then waited for a job to come up with Nestle. Um, which was the next round. I, I, I did my research and I decided I wanted to join Nestle because the big FMCG, brilliant international graduate scheme, really good opportunity to travel around the world and do a bit of marketing, really learn from a big organization. And I really applied myself and I was really lucky because I got onto that international graduate scheme with Nestle, which was a pretty difficult one to get onto at the time, but I think it was spurred on by, by my life in the steelworks in the valleys. Um, and, and yeah, so I did that for, um, I think about 18 months or so, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I really enjoyed it, but, but I probably had another, another kind of epiphany, if you like, um, when I was there, in that I remember I'd go for my regular um, reviews every three months, and at the time you were given a mentor, and the mentor was someone very, very senior in the organization, um, and, and they really invested in their graduates at the time. And they were saying, yeah, you're doing really well. You know, you've worked in, in coffees, you know, you've worked in frozen food, whatever the categories were. And he said, you know, your next placement will be overseas. And, 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 and he described, I remember at the time, as a trivial pursuit tire. And he said, you know, the, the graduates are the ones who are going to make the board. He said, and, and, you know, you just need to fill in these different areas of the, of the organization. And once you've done roles in that organization, then you'll be on the board. And he said, and, you know, you can aim to get on the board by kind of 50. You know, and we say that someone who's 24, that's 15. I want to retire 50. Not, not wait to get onto the board. 
Um, and that then, a penny kind of dropped there that I thought, hmm, do I really want to be, you know, working really hard for the next 25 years with the hope of, of a big opportunity at the end of that? Or actually, do I want to really manage my career more within a much smaller organization that's got an opportunity where I can grow? And then, luckily, at the same time, a, a, a similar time, I... Um, we were working with one of the consultants and, and they happened to be doing some work for Thompson. And, and she happened to mention this to me that she was recruiting for buyers in Thompson. And I, was, I had done some, some commercial roles in sales within Nestle by that point, I think that's interesting. And when she explained the role, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And I, I, I tell a lot of the graduates who come into the, the travel industry the same thing. I still can't believe that a job like that exists where you are paid to fly around the Indian Ocean and stay in the most beautiful hotels and eat the most beautiful restaurants um, and meet the most interesting characters um, and, and actually build programs for tour operator. And I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, a job like that exists? So that was my next determination. I thought, I really want that. I really want that job. Um, so I applied for it and I was lucky enough to get it. And, and then, then it started. It was interesting. It, 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 you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it really was like a, like a, a hand fit in a glove. I mean, the, within the first week, I thought, this is the company for me. This is the industry for me. I love it. And I have to say, for, for the last 25 years or 20 odd years I've been in travel, every day I have really enjoyed it. I have never regretted joining travel. And I think you'll know yourself, you know, once you get the bug, I mean, it's, it's the most frustrating, the most difficult, the most volatile um, the poorest margin business to be in, but my God, it's exciting. It's great, great fun. Yeah. And, and really that's been it. And I've, I've been there ever since. So that was kind of how I got to where I got to on the kind of travel journey and, and enjoying travel. Oh, fantastic. Garrett, honestly, there's so much gold in that for anyone listening, because I think, you know, that um, sort of a couple of early false start in the steel work, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> but had you not had that kind of experience, possibly you wouldn't necessarily have had the grit and determination to really do something that you truly love and follow, follow that yeah. passion. You know? yeah. And I think it's an interesting um, concept, isn't it? That sometimes if things are kind of okay, it's sometimes harder to change than when you've got a burning platform of, oh my God, I've got to get out of this. And I think that's, that's something that kind of obviously galvanized you to, to move, Gary, would you say? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And that is what characterized that, that very, early point of, of you know being being in Scotland and then the first role was actually looking and thinking I do not want to be part of this you know I want to get out of this and the only way I'm going to control that is by controlling it myself and yeah. getting out there. and actually it's a very early lesson and it's a lesson I've carried with me and it's a lesson that, that with my teams often talk about that don't just sit back and let something happen and and so often you can sit there in business and you can you can see things, they say, oh, it's the market. It's interesting. One of the characteristics, when things go bad, it's always the market. When things go well, it's always the individual, isn't it? <laughs> um, and, and, and really, you know, you can sit there and allow external factors, allow the market, allow the competition, um, allow the situation you're in at the moment to, to take hold. And I think it's a downward spiral, or you can fight against it. And even if you don't come out on top, at least you come out thinking, I've given it my all and I've tried everything in order to try to make this work. And, and at least you can get some self-worth out of that and, and, and some confidence that, you know, you've not just sat back and thought, well, what will be, will be. 
Yeah, I think there's a couple of points to pick up on there, Gary, as well, because, you know, one is about mindset and yeah. having, having a positive mindset, but also very much being in control of your own destiny. And I think you and I are quite similar in, in that sense. And also we both come from, from pretty humble beginnings, right? Working yeah. class yeah. values that, that stayed with us throughout all of our life and careers. So, you know, certainly the attitude of no one gives you anything for nothing in this life and you have to take control and, and, and create your own future, um, yeah. I think is, is a really positive, positive step. And do you think that, do you think that came from that early period at the Stewarts? Or do you think that was actually sort of ingrained in you from your, your family? I mean, you talked about, you know, your, your mum, dad, sister and brother and, and kind of how, how, you know, how your family life was at the beginning. Do you think that came from those early years or was it later I, on? I think so. I think it did come from the early years. I mean, we were quite, uh, and I, my parents were quite well, were very hard working you know i mean we we were never super wealthy but we were never you know we, you know we we had a comfortable life growing up and that really came from hard work you know my my mom owned a shop and you know she used to run a shop my dad worked in the steelworks um, until it closed down and then he moved um into another career in, in his kind of late 30s early 40s so you know, I, I suppose growing up around my family it was characterised by just hard work. And my brother was the same. I mean, he's he's just recently retired from the police, and and you know, he he moved to a very very senior position um, in the police, and and really it was just a case of of buckling down and working really hard. And and you know, I was I was looking at, at me and my brother. I was probably the more academic one, but you know, he absolutely had a determination to to also do as well as he possibly could within the field that he was in. And he didn't go down the university route, but what he did go down was joining as a cadet in the police. And, and I think he left as a detective chief superintendent or something. So he, he was very senior when he left. And then, you know, I, I think that's installed within, within the whole family, just that you get what you work for. And as you say, no one's going to hand it to you unless you work for it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, we met, gosh, we've known each other many years, haven't we, Gary? I was trying to yeah. think, actually. I think it was... It's 20 years, isn't it? It's from the early yeah. days of Thompson and I was product and you were purchasing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know you, you picked up on something as well at your time at Nestle which I think is 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 uh, I'd like to sort of talk about a little bit more mm. around in that you you had you know you were enjoying what you were doing you were getting the experience but then when you were told it was going to take till 50 to get yeah. on the foot now obviously we're not far off that now are we so it probably feels <laughs> 50 feels quite young now but but, but you're right at the, at the age you know in your sort of mid-20s that seems yeah. like a, got a lifetime away you know old fossil by the time you're 50 but 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 yeah I think I think also you know so you said that you you really had the ambition you wanted to get to the top and to yeah. be you know be a director be an MD be a CEO which you've you've done phenomenally well to achieve that but you didn't want to do it you didn't want it to take that long and you didn't want to be that old um, yeah. so that shift into travel because you know, if you think about it I, I think about the the old Thompson and Tui days and we were given a lot of responsibility actually really quite young um, Very looking, young. looking yeah. back weren't we and um, and obviously, you know, I mean, you're now there as a CEO of, you know, EasyJet Holidays, which is phenomenal. But yeah. that whole approach to um, responsibility and taking on those big roles, was yeah. that daunting ever at the time, Gary? You know, or did you just sort of quite take everything in your stride as you got more senior? Um, no, it, it, there are definitely periods that it, that it got daunting, I remember, and, and, and I remember them quite vividly. And I think you're right. I think the, the, the thing that characterises travel, or certainly characterised Thompson back then, 
was that you really that you, you were really instilled with a sense of ownership. I mean, the thing I loved about Thompson when I joined, and I loved about Tui when I left, they were a big company, but they had a really small company mentality, you know, and, and they absolutely trusted and instilled within their people that sense of responsibility. So I used to look after the, the buying and the hotel contract and when I first joined of um, I don't know, Madeira, Tunisia, Algarve, and some of the Greek islands. And I absolutely felt a personal responsibility for them. So I was really gunning for them to do well. If they didn't do well, I felt responsible. If they did well, I felt responsible. So, so you really had that sense of responsibility instilled in you. And it's no different to being a CEO. It's just on a different scale. It's just on a very different scale. And I think that, you know, having that ability to own something and, and make mistakes, but those mistakes not necessarily being costly very early on in your career gives you the confidence to actually try things, to, to, to do different things. And I suppose that would characterize the difference um, with, say, a Nestle, where it really was turning the wheel um, mm. very early on in your career because, you know, I was going to suddenly reinvent the wheel when it came to some of their, their, their big products or their big categories. So, you know, I, I remember very early on in the Thompson days, you'd say, where do you think? Where do you think we should send the plane? You know, do you think this place would be popular? <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be nice. Well, let's try it. And you think, oh, that's incredible. You know, that's amazing. And and often when I when I uh, even now when I read in some of the the magazines, it says, you know, these are the the next upcoming destinations. It's kind of the decision of a product manager in the pub. You know, on a Friday, why don't we just try that and see if that works? That might be good good for a couple of flights a week. And and it was brilliant because it felt entrepreneurial, but you felt protected by you know, by, by the organization and the culture that the organization encouraged, encouraged within that. Um, so I think, I think that did definitely carry through. Yeah, and you make a really interesting point. And it's something that I'm quite fascinated about because obviously now I, I've sort of shifted out of the pure corporate world yeah. into a, an entrepreneurial world where I have my own businesses, as you know, you know, my mentoring business, my advice yeah. business, my property business. But what I... It, what I often come across is that when you're mixing with entrepreneurs, the more classic definition of entrepreneurs, they tend to almost label the corporate world as being therefore non-entrepreneurial. Yeah. And, and I don't see that at all. I mean, what you've just described there was, you know, you, you're responsible for hundreds of millions of pounds in your 20s with full right. accountability and ownership. And actually that innovation and that entrepreneurial spirit, I think is absolutely there within a corporate, even if you've got that construct of, you know, the large organization oh, behind you. What do you think? Definitely. Yeah, I think it definitely is. I mean, it's interesting though. I think that, that, you know, what marks the difference is you're doing it with someone else's money, I suppose. And that's the big crossover. You can afford to make mistakes, you know, and you're still going to get your salary at the end of the month. Yeah. You, you know, you can afford to trip up and you can then take a new direction. Whereas I suppose kind of a true entrepreneur where it's their own money, their own backing, then those decisions are much more personal. Um, but I would say the thing again that, that I think that, that really drove a lot of the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, with, within my early career and, and right through, actually, is my job was dealing with hoteliers. And the hotelier community, it's not corporate at all, mm. um, particularly the beach hoteler community, it's made up of individual entrepreneurs and enormously successful individual entrepreneurs. You know, I've probably met more billionaires who own big hotel groups or hotel chains than, than, than I care to remember. And the energy that you get from true entrepreneurs is really infectious. You know, the, the, it's interesting because I, you know, I say you sit there and think, do we put a flight in here? What if it goes wrong? 
these people are thinking, you know, do I spend two, three hundred million building a hotel here and hope that the tourists will come? I mean, when you think of that early, I mean, I know you're in Mallorca, when you think of that kind of early entrepreneurial spirit that they took to make those investments, when actually it was on a, on a hunch, is quite incredible. And, and that's only a generation old. We're only on to the second generation of that. And I think when you meet those hoteliers and you meet those people who've been successful within within tourism, you know, that it really is infectious, that, that, that drive they've got, that passion they've got, that belief they've got. And really my role within TUI and Thompson, and in many ways my role within EasyJet Holidays, is about taking their vision and actually connecting the bridge. So making it, making it work for them and then making it work for us. Um, so, so huge energy from that. And I think, I think they will react well and they do react well from people who really understand what drives them and understand what motivates them. What they hate is, is you know, the kind of corporate Sally who's doing the corporate line the whole time. Still, that's not right for me. You know, I'm, I'm taking an enormous risk here and I need you guys to take a risk with me because, you know, if it works out, it'll work for both of us. And that, that gave me a lot of energy through my whole career. Yeah, well, it's definitely rubbed off and it's stood you in good stead, hasn't it? Because as definitely. you say, you know, the travel industry is incredibly volatile. You know, you have really thin margins, as we know, to deal with. So there's a, you know, I remember years ago, uh, Peter Long, who, who we both know yeah. very well, uh, both reported into Peter at different, different times. But, you know, I remember him sort of, Peter was from a finance background, wasn't he originally? And and almost this sort of image of the industry was that it was like almost like non-serious. You know, it wasn't financial yeah. services, it wasn't retail, it wasn't you know a lot of the other 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 sectors. But actually, when you think about it, in travel, it's the hardest nosed trading business you can get. Um, and you know, just just the 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 different influences, the seasonality, the global shocks. You know. Yeah. Currency, exchange rate, volatility, all of these things. And at the same time, you are dealing with people's lives because things can go wrong overseas as they can at home, you know. So it's, yeah. a, it's the whole shebang, isn't it? And actually, the industry is, it, I think it's, it's a really tough industry, but with a great personality and, and kind of a lot of fun along the way. Yeah, huge fun. I mean, you're right. I think, I think that volatility... And it's, in, it's interesting, the volatility piece, because I don't know if you feel the same, but it's, it's all of these shocks that have happened over the last, say, 20 years, whether it's the, you know, the fall of some of the big, big players, you know, like, like, like when air tours are down, or, you know, whether it's ash cloud, or whether it's swine flu, or, you know, whether it's, it's COVID, you know, it, it's, it's all of a similar guys. It all follows the same trajectory. You know, there's, there's, there's demand at a certain level, the demand completely collapses and you need to make decisions really, really quickly, um, both the short term and the medium term to, to kind of get your way through that. And I think that, you know, I think the travel industry, whilst it's been horribly, horribly punished um, with, 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 with the outcome of COVID, I, I think though, you know, that ability to, okay, we roll our sleeves up, we get our backs into it and we start making decisions in order to see through this. That's not a process that's unfamiliar to us. Mm -hmm. I think the depth of it and the effect of it is a difficult one, but I think the process isn't, you know, and, and many people will be used to that. And it was interesting when I joined, when I joined again in Thompson, um, someone else probably very familiar, with it, Colin Mitchell, oh, um, yeah. and, and um, who sadly died a few years ago. And I, I remember um, Colin was the real godfather of, if you wanted to know anything about travel, <laughs> you would go and ask Colin Mitchell. 
you know, you'd go and ask him, and he would know because he'd been there and he'd seen there and he'd done it because he'd been in the company for for, for, for some decades. Um, and I remember knowing very early on that I was going to stay within the business, um, and thinking, God, how would you ever come close to having a percentage of the knowledge that this guy's got? Mm-hmm. You know, and and it just kind of happens, doesn't it? Suddenly. You know, you find yourself, you're the old sage that's been there, that's done that, that knows all those yeah. things. But actually, you don't feel any, any well better informed than you did in the first few years. I just think you've got the confidence to kind of react to things as they happen. And you're just a little bit more relaxed and a bit more laid back about, okay, this is a process we follow. We've seen this before. This is how we should go about um, making decisions around this. Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, what ends up happening is you, you, you just raise the bar, don't you? You know, yeah. the level of responsibility, the level of decisions is higher. But as you say, the kind of process and the confidence sitting behind it is quite similar. Uh, but, you know, you, you do up your game as the more senior you get. And, and you made a really interesting, interesting point there, Gary, because, I mean, we learned from the best. And, and Colin was just a legend and, and a, a lovely, lovely person as well to boot, wasn't he? You know, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of other characters that we could also, you know, name as well. Um, but, but I think the, the, the thing that strikes me as well is just this sort of almost approach to to failure as well and you you said you know you might not always get it right you know things will go wrong but at least make a decision and and I think that's that sort of that's a healthy approach to have because yeah. so many people are so scared of making a decision because they're worried of failing or they're worried about starting a new business or a new destination or whatever it may be that they never get going. Um, and you, you know, see it so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, how do, how do you approach that? I mean, it, do your sort of mindset and approach to sort of taking risks in business or in life, actually, uh, how, how do you kind of reconcile that for yourself? Um, I, I mean, early on, I think, again, early on, I learned, and, and you're right, I think that, that we were surrounded by, you know, some incredibly capable individuals. And, and as a group, those individuals, you know, at, at the time, I remember when, 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 when First Choice merged with, um, with TUI at the time, and, and that board was set, which is kind of when we were in the, the, the senior roles, you know, that main board, you know, of, of, of Peter Long, of Will, of Johan, of Jackie Simmons, of and John Wimbledon, you know, David Burling, you know, it, it felt it, totally invincible. It felt that anything that, that we wanted to do was possible. And, and that old kind of Mandela thing that says, you know, impossible is just something that's not yet been achieved. It really felt like that. It really felt that whatever we turned our hand to, we could be successful in because we had real corporate self-confidence. Um, but we also had a very, very clear vision of where we wanted to go and what we wanted to do. And that was something actually I've learned from Johan. I learned that very early on and, and, and I still learn from him now. He, he's very, very good at saying, articulate the vision. Absolutely articulate the vision. Because if you can do that, then you can make the decisions. Because you know the decisions are working towards where, where you're trying to get to. And I'd say that really helps the decision making. If you don't know where you're going, you end up floundering around. If you're absolutely got your eye on where you want to be and when you want to get there, then it just makes that decision making that much easier. And you will make, you will take, take calculated risk because you think, you know what, I'm not going to get there if I don't take these decisions or I don't make this risk. And it might not work, but then I just go back and I, I, I then, I then, you know, go along a different trajectory there. So, so I think that, I think having confidence is one. I think surrounding yourself by people who share the same outlook as you is another. 
And I think having a really, really clear vision and being able to articulate that is a third. And once you've got that, then I think decisions just happen naturally. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're right. So a uh, vision for your business, um, you know, is, is, is absolutely critical, especially you want to bring the team with you. So, you know, if you're all over the place and you don't know where you're heading, it's hard to get yeah. people sort of lined up and in the right seats and all facing in the same direction. And, uh, but also I think that links into quite nicely, Gary, sort of vision for life really, and what you want as an individual, yeah. Um, and, and for you, maybe uh, talk a little bit about kind of your personal vision, if you like. That might be quite interesting for people who are listening. Yeah, I mean, I think when I, earlier on, as I say, a lot of my decisions that I made in life, and, and it's interesting because I, I often listen to people's story where they've got to, and I think it's much easier to work backwards than it is to work forwards. And, and when people say, oh, I, I knew this by the age of 22, and by the age of 30, I got there by the age of 50, I fulfilled it. I wonder if it was that straightforward, because I think that, that life does throw you in different directions where you have to make quite important decisions and often you'll end up in the right place, but it might not be quite through conscious decision at, at that point. Um, but, but, but a lot of my earlier career and early decisions in life was really built, I think, I, I do think the whole um, growing up in that town that went from that enormous you know, employment to enormous deprivation really drove me to, to, to think, I know what I don't want. Mm. You know, I know what I don't want. And I'll do anything to avoid seeing what I saw there. Um, and therefore, that's what would drive me on. So it was less of a vision of what I do want and more of a vision of what I don't want to end up. Yeah. And I think once actually things start happening, you think, oh, actually, I'm quite good at this. This is working out. This is doing well. Then it's a case of thinking, okay, what, what do I want from life? You know, and, and, and really for me now, it's a case of, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking about where I want to end up living, which will be in Scotland, you know, taking, the other thing is you'll probably agree in travel, it just takes your entire life over, mm. you know, you're, you're 24 seven working on it. And therefore the, the prospect of, you know, in my kind of mid to late fifties, being able to kind of step back and maybe do something that's, that's a lot less, less um, consuming is, is what I'm aiming for now. And I think really taking that time to really enjoy, you know, the, the, the fruits of what I've worked for over the last 20, 25 years and, and share those with family and share those with friends as well. Um, I, I, I get a lot of energy from the relationships I have with people and I, I, I'd have that in work. Um, and I really want to start doing more of that, you know, within my personal life because it's not necessarily been that easy in a career because you're just constantly working at it. Um, and therefore, I think within the next kind of five to 10 years, that's really my goal is getting, it sounds a cliche again, but really getting that work-life balance um, yeah. proper. Well, I think, I think that's right. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I agree with you. When you're in your earlier career, you're, you're kind of more in the moment probably of, of opportunities that come up and you're not, yeah. you don't necessarily engineer everything. You might have a bit of an idea, general direction, a general idea. But I think it's when you've got a bit of life experience behind you and maybe it's an age thing that you, you know, we're in our forties and, and it does make you sort of think about the next phase and what's important. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's great if you can do that because it definitely helps focus the mind. And as you say, it's much easier to kind of work back with a bit of a plan then isn't it if you know where, you, where you want to head Absolutely. to and, um, um, sorry go on Gary no I was just to say I think that that helped my decision to to, to join EasyJet Holidays because I thought you know this is going to be my last gig and you know what a gig to go out on you know 
just just having the opportunity to start a business from scratch and to handpick a team and to go and work again closely with Johan to work with a brand that's really well known and you know that 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 really will go places within the sector and I think that that really that would have been a decision that would have been easy to make in my thirties but you know in my late forties I thought yeah let's go for it this is this is this is going to be great fun. Let, let's talk about that a bit, Gary, because as you say, it's a fantastic brand to work for. Great team. You know, Johan's a, a wonderful uh, group CEO. And to have that, again, is an element of entrepreneurialism, isn't it? It's a startup yeah. almost within the construct of the corporate, yeah. which is, is what you really enjoy, I think, from what you've described. So talk, talk about the business a little bit, how you've, you know, how the, the first sort of, you know, join in has been and, and, you know, what your vision for everything is there at EasyJet Holidays. Yeah. Again, you know, when Johan when Johan asked me if I'd be interested in running the, the holidays company, I mean, he, he didn't have to ask twice because I think, you know, if you work in the sector, for, for many, many years, people think, gosh, you think EasyJet's going to start getting into travel because if they get the tour operating just with the sheer size and the scale that, that they have and their brand and their cost base, you know, they could really make a big difference. Um, and, and therefore, you know, having worked for Johan for many years, when he asked me, you know, the opportunity to work with EasyJet and the opportunity to work with Johan again, it was just it was too good to be true um, to, to turn down. Um, so, so I immediately jumped at it. And, you know, the, the vision that we both kind of um, had for the organization was that it was never going to work as a, as a part of an airline. It had to work as a standalone business and stand on its own two feet. Um, using the, the assets that the airline have, using the corporate knowledge that the airline have, using the you know, the cost base that the airline have and using the culture that the airline have, but building a separate business, building a holidays business um, that really could stand on its own two feet. So, so as you'll know, Johan absolutely believes in, in driving accountability down within the organization. And that's one thing I, I, I love about working with him. You know, he will absolutely have your back, you know, if, if, if he needs to. But he's very much, this is your business, these are your decisions. You make them and I'll back you on them. Um, and he really gives you that space to, to make those decisions. So that was great for me. So when, when we set the company, or we, we, we went about setting the company up, you know, we were thinking that the whole thing from a culture of EasyJet, you know, what, what was it that EasyJet did 25 years ago within the flight sector um, that kind of really spoke to customers um, and really gave customers at that time what they want? How could we do that? you know, within the holiday sector. So that whole thing of inflexibility of, you know, you pay four times the amount for a holiday if you go in the, the school half term and you pay if you go outside. Of the, you know, if you're not two adults and two kids, you, you know, you'll pay through the nose, you know, for any kind of different... How can we actually take that and, and turn that on its head and, and really try to give a, a much more modern holiday experience for customers who've maybe turned their back on that package holiday business? Um, or that package holiday sector, how can we try to refresh that um, in the same way that EasyJet's refresh flights and also other organizations have done within sectors and, 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 and really reinvented what they've done there. So, so I have to say, you know, the, the, the first few months, I mean, building the vision and building the strategy and building, you know, what we wanted to achieve, that was great fun. And everyone got a lot of energy out of that and everyone advanced against. Then, then actually building the company you know, that, that, that's, that's quite tough because then you're actually building systems, you're building processes, you know, you're building, you know, the finance infrastructure, the legal infrastructure, you know, because there was nothing there. And that was quite daunting in some ways because, of course, I'd come from an organization where it had been there for, for decades, 
you know, they say, well, well, go ask. So there was no one to ask. So I suddenly became not only the person who knew a lot about product and purchasing, I had to know about legal, I had to know about finance, I had to know about operation, the entire gamut. So, so that, was, that was interesting. And, and again, the, the lesson there that I, I, I really pulled on was surround yourself with people that really know this stuff better than you. Because if you get, I know you talk about it, but in your property business, having that power team, you know, having that power team around you is so important for success. So important. And, and one of the great things I think about being a CEO is that you've kind of got there, there for the ambition of kind of elbowing to, well, I've got to be better than that, I've got to be better than them at that. It's kind of gone, you know? You just want to build a brilliant team and build a brilliant business that's ready to then hand to someone, you know, when it's time for you to go, um, as opposed to actually doing it from a personal kind of career objective. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think that makes the decisions around that much, much easier as well, much easier to make. Um, and, and that's what we've done. That's such an important point, isn't it, around, around the surround yourself with the right people and, and almost, I think you're right, when you get, when you're younger and you're, you're more junior in your career, you are, you're looking at it more from your own perspective or personal gain of, 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 and your ego is involved quite often, I think, when you're a bit more junior. Whereas when you've got, you've got nothing to prove to anyone because you've already successful, you're already sitting in that chair because you deserve to be there when you get to that level that you're at Gary and then it's about okay well put my ego to one side and just recruit really smart people admit I can't I don't know everything and I'm kind of comfortable saying yeah. that because I've got I've got confidence I'm comfortable in my own shoes and, and actually then recruiting really smart people um, that that you can 100% rely on I think is is Absolutely. it's the only way for success isn't it yeah, I think the other important thing within that is, 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 as well as surrounding yourself with those really smart people, is, is also bring in, you know, young talent that you know you can nurture very quickly. Because mm. I know that, again, you're exactly the same, that, that when someone gave me that accountability when I was in my early to mid-20s, my God, I ran with it. And, and, and if you get people with that attitude, they will give it back to you tenfold. Yeah. Uh, and really going out and finding young talent who are really ready to be developed into tour operators and, and, and really want to take that accountability and run with it's really important. So we've actually got a very young team as well. Um, and it's great. We've got a great mix of experience and a great mix of people who come from outside the industry, who come from in the industry. And we've just said, you know, that there are no rules here. So we want you guys to think that this is your business. You know, the success of this business is your success. And we're a small enough team that people feel really invested in it. Um, and and that, that's been really important. And, and one, actually, one lesson I've learned um, from running that business and from being a CEO, it's interesting, is, is, is I like talking and, and, and I like giving my opinions. And people will always ask your opinion if you're a CEO and you'll, you'll always give it. And it's really important to know when to give it and when not to give it. Mm. Because I think that our... our I, I've often found, and I've seen it as well within, within, within other jobs I've had, is that you might have a conversation or the, or the CEO or, or someone in a very senior position might say something, might, might just be an off-the-cuff comment, and suddenly it cascades down the organization that this is the direction in which we're going. Or you might say, well, I think that's a load of rubbish, or I don't really like that. And actually, that's a really meaningful statement to someone who's worked on that. Yeah. And, and therefore, you've got to be very careful in... Um, in, in ensuring that, that, that when you're giving your opinion, you're actually adding unique value. Um, and really the job, I think, now is more of 
rather than me saying, I think we should do that, I think we should do this. It's what do we think we should do and helping to steer the conversation and, and play in many ways devil's advocate in order to reach the best decisions as opposed to trying to impose my, my views on, on, on where we need to get to because then that's something I've learned from Johan. That then drives the autonomy down. It means that you know, collectively we're responsible for decisions that we're making rather than it sitting on, on one individual's shoulders. I think that's great advice, actually. I mean, anyone that's in a leadership role or starting their own business, for example, you know, you, you're absolutely spot on, Gary, because, you know, it shouldn't be the world according to, to, to me, should it really, you know? And, and, and I think, again, when you're more junior, you, you, you probably make those mistakes, whereas when you're a bit older and a bit more life experience, you recognise the value of other people's opinions because you can yeah. close ideas down too early, can't you, as well? You know, someone might have a great idea and then it's just gone because they go, oh, I'm not going to say it now um it. you know it's interesting because when i when i again very early in my career obviously there was a lot of people who've been there for a number of years and you would often hear it people saying oh we tried that and it didn't work you know here we go it's all the same old ideas we tried that it didn't work and um i almost i've always gone through this kind of evolution piece that i've gone from thinking oh that's really cynical to getting to the point that says oh we tried that and it didn't work getting to the point of saying, you know what, Agra, any, any idea is a good idea if it's, if it's properly implemented and properly allowed the space. And it might not have worked in an environment three years ago, but it might work in an environment now. Mm. And I think that, that just having a culture whereby, regardless of experience, everyone's a consumer, you know, and therefore everyone knows the kind of holidays that they want to take and the experiences they want to have. Therefore, their, their opinions are absolutely legitimate and should be listened to. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm really keen that, that we do that because I think otherwise it's very easy just to recreate something that's already been created. Mm. Um, and it's really important not to fall into that comfort zone of, well, we know how to do that, so let's just replicate it. Yeah. And I actually say, no, let's try and do something a bit different. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And you, I mean, where you are now, it, it feels to me what you've described that you're exactly where you should be at this point yep. in time, at this point of your career. And, and I think the opportunity you've got there with EasyJet Holidays is phenomenal and very exciting. Obviously, it's tough right now, but, you know, the industry is resilient. It will come back. It's just going to be a case of time, really, isn't it? And just yep. making those, those tough calls that need to be made. But I, I think for you, it, it's fantastic to see you in this role, Gary, because you're going to absolutely knock it out the park. You know, it's going to be cool. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, it's... It, 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 a, I, I agree, I think the opportunity is phenomenal, but the learning for me as well it is phenomenal too, because you know, even though it's within tourism, it's within the same sector, you know, joining a company like EasyJet, you know, it's on a different scale of what I was used to, you know, you talk about 300 aircraft, 100 million customers, you know, on tiny margins, you know, and it, 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 the machinery to make that business, you know, work in an efficient and profitable manner is quite phenomenal. And, and, and really taking that and trying to translate some of that into running a holidays organization is really quite exciting as well. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's just that ruthless focus on cost at all times and, and a real focus as well on technology. Because actually invest in technology now because it means you don't need to, you know, a, reinvest, you know, in two or three years' time, but also what it means is that you don't have to have 100 people doing, you know, what some technology can do at one point. So, so you can be much more nimble. Um, so there's a lot of lessons I'm learning as well that I didn't think I'd be learning, so I don't think I'm going to tour operator. But actually that whole cultural piece and, and 
and, and the, the, the organizational DNA that EastJet has is, is, is brilliant. I mean, it's really, really opened my eyes as well. Yeah, and that desire for self-development is is obviously, you know, really at the core of, of kind of your values, you know, n- yeah. never never knowing it all and always wanting to learn and be a better yeah. version of yourself. Would you say that's that's helped drive you forward as well, Gary, over the years? You know what it has? I mean, I think that, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily come from a desire for self-development as having been surrounded by people that I'm, uh, that, 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 you know, that, either I really admire or I'm in awe of. So, you know, when I meet a hotelier that, that, you know, started off with, you know, five rooms above their shop and I've ended up with, with 400 hotels, you know, and they're a multi-billionaire, you know, hugely successful, you know, you have to take your hat off and think, my God, I mean, that's some achievement. And, and just to get the energy and, 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 you know, I take all of the opportunities as mentoring with these people. So any opportunity I have is, is, is great to listen to their stories, great to listen to how they make decisions and how they reach decisions. Um, I think that's phenomenal. And, and as I said earlier, you know, uh, back, back in the career, say 10 years ago, being surrounded by, you know, Peter Long, by Johan, uh, by David Burley, by Will Waggett, you know, you just learn so much from these people. Um, and, and, and really putting yourself in a position where, where you're allowed to ask questions. You're not seen as stupid by not knowing the answer, but people having the, the grace to, to share their knowledge and their experience with you in order to build yours, I think is a phenomenal thing. And I think mm. that, you know, my advice to anyone in a career would be surround yourself with people that you admire, that you respect, and that respect you because then they will give you their time and they will... They will help you. They'll, they'll help develop you. They'll help develop your ideas, and that will develop your career. Um, and, and, and you know, it's a really powerful combination. You know, when you're when you're in a room with people who've got that kind of energy, and, and you know, I'm finding it now in my my current role. You know, when when you know when we're firing on all cylinders, it's fantastic. It really is. It's it's, it's great. And I think that that always try to be in a place that you really enjoy the people that you work with, and you can learn from them. Yeah, life's short, isn't it? You know, to, to do something yeah. that you don't love or be in an environment that doesn't kind of rock your boat. And I think that's that's a great piece of advice as well. You know, fa- have a passion for something because when you have a passion for something, you kind of merge your profession with your passion. And that that then, you know, it doesn't always feel like work because you, yes, it is work, but you really enjoy it. And, and actually life's too short to do anything other than that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, I think, you know, I've, I've been blessed that every day, I mean, of course, there are days I'm going, oh, gosh, what now? But, you know, there has never been a day I've regretted either the sector that I'm in or the business that I'm in. And especially now, you know, in, it, that, that, that time 25 years ago, when I think, really, a job like that exists where you go around buying hotels in the nation? I think now, really, I've, I've, I've got that job because what a gig. I mean, it's a phenomenal opportunity. And I, I love it every single day, really do. Yeah. And, and, and of course, don't happen things don't work sometimes but you know you just pick yourself up and you you know you, you try it again yeah and and you've you've picked on um the importance of mentors gary yeah. whether that's formal or informal yeah. how, how important do you say that has been for you in your career and just kind of in general your mindset and approach to things i mean enormously i mean enormously important and and just to have someone that that either in, in an informal relationship that, that you can kind of buddy with through your career, that you can have shared experiences with, that you 
can have that you can run ideas past and they will do the same with you or actually having a formal mentor that can help you just look at things differently or or help un unravel some of the kind of tangle that you might have i think is hugely important mm. um so yeah i think i think i think having mentors and having role models is, is just really really important in order to be able to create what you want um, out of your career and what you want for, for yourself. Um, I think that's really important. I, I don't know how anyone could be successful without that relationship, without having a mentor. You could never do it on your own. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And I think in particular, you know, if you come from relatively humble beginnings like we both have, you know, yeah. to have role models that can say, you can physically see, oh, wow, wow you know, that's, that person looks a bit like me. They sound a bit like me. Yeah. Um, wow, I could achieve that as well, you know, because yeah. I think that's the thing, in particular, if you come from a more deprived, you know, area or, or you don't come from a, from a particular wealthy background, I think role models can really make that massive difference can't they along with mentors as you say you know absolutely because there is i mean you're right there is absolutely a a um you know you, you need to get over that kind of imposter syndrome quite early on because it it can it can come back to haunt you if you don't think i deserve my place around this table and actually i've got an opinion that's worth listening to um then, then self-doubt can creep in. I think in having those role models, who, as I say, you know, you can build a relationship with and who, who as you say, you can see that their, their career has taken a similar trajectory to mine. You know, they were in this position at one point and look to how they've managed it. And, and, and you know, everyone, as, as this podcast shows, everyone likes talking about themselves. You know, so actually just say to people, tell me a bit about your career. Tell me how you got to where you got to, you know, what were the difficult decisions you had to make? Or oh, I'm facing this, this problem at work. You know, how would you approach it? I think, you know, people are more than willing to, to be open and give, give advice and give information and, and give help when you ask them. Mm. And, uh, you know, you, you touched on your early career, Gary, you know, in the steelworks and, and realizing that that wasn't necessarily the best choice that you'd made at that <laughs> point. Um, so let's not call it failure, but it was because it galvanized you to, to take action and move forward in a different way. Can you think of it? Because obviously anyone listening to you will think, oh, wow, you know, Gary, everything's got, you know, not everything's always gone well, but what a career, you know, you've done generally things have gone your way after making that initial switch that you did into the industry. But, you know, there must be times where when you've, you know, things haven't gone right, haven't gone right for you. Can you think of an example where, you know, something has really gone wrong for you actually, and you've had to kind of pull yourself back up after that? Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know if anything's gone terribly wrong. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I don't think anything's gone terribly wrong. I, I, what I would say is maybe I could have been bolder enough earlier on in my career. And I think, you know, that, that, it's all right to say, I'm good at this. I know how to do this, as opposed to letting the self-doubt creep in and, and allow other people to make the decisions for you. And I think that maybe that characterized a lot of my early career was that maybe I, I didn't tread my own path enough um, until I got into my stride and then I did. And I think, actually, I could have done this a couple of years back. So I was probably, you know, in my kind of, my kind of mid-20s to mid-30s, I was probably running kind of 24, 36 months behind where my potential probably could have been because of that. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and then, I, then I, I built it later on. And I think that just came from self-confidence um, and not being scared to make, make mistakes. 
Um, I mean, I remember once when, when I got a job that, that went from, I mean, I had a team. Well, actually, I, my, when I started, I didn't have anyone on the team. Then I had one person on the team. And I remember thinking, oh my God, how do I manage someone? This is really difficult. And, and, and I went off and I read, I read books about management and, you know, make sure I have a weekly one-to-one and I'd make sure we had the note. And make, so I do it all by the book. And, um, and, and I remember at the time, my boss just chill out, you know, you have to chill out a bit. It's, it's, it's just about having a relationship with them and, you know, just, 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 just building that connection. Um, and actually, I think, I think that idea of just chill out, just, just go with it, go with your instincts. You don't have to be perfect at this. You know, you're going to make mistakes along the way. You just run with it, you'll be okay. Um, and then probably through the career, there have been moments when I thought, I don't know if I can do this, you know, I, Really, I, mean, I remember when, 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 when again, back in, back, back in the day, maybe 15 years ago, um, I was given overseas to look after. So I went from having a team of kind of five to suddenly having a couple of thousand. And, and all of my direct reports were significantly older than me. And thinking, oh my God, how am I going to manage this? You know, how am I going to do this? Because the guys are like, who is this upstart who doesn't have a um, And actually, again, just pulling on your reserves and pulling on, what is the vision I have? How do I want to get here? Not allowing, you know, the naysayers to put, to push you off track, but doing it in a way that that's got empathy and that's got a bit of emotional intelligence um, is is really important. And I think everyone will find these peaks and troughs. And even with, the, I mean, with with EasyJet holidays, you know, we'll have we'll have things where you know we're hoping to to launch some part of of, of the business at some point, and it's not gone wrong, or it's not gone right, or you know, the system's very well, the testing's not quite right. You know. How is this going to work? But, you know, you just have to dust yourself off and move to the next point, dust yourself off and move to the next point. And I think, you know, the success of an entrepreneur or, or, or a startup has to be characterized by a number of, of, of failures along the way. It has to. Because if it's not, then there's no way that you're seeing your full potential. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I was going to ask you the best piece of advice you've been given, but you've just given it that you've just re- reeled off about five five or six <laughs> great pieces of advice that have helped you with your career. So that is wonderful. You preempted my question, Gary. Can you think of the worst advice you've ever been given? It's funny actually because I, I I was thinking about this before this, and, and probably the best advice and the worst advice are the same things I've been given. And and you know one of my one of my mentors through many, many years is, is, is David Burling, who we both know. Um, and I've, I've learned more from David than, than from anyone else, probably, in my career. Because um, I worked, you know, as a colleague, and then I worked for David for, you know, probably 20 years of, of my career, and I've always worked very close to him. And, and I hugely respect, you know, the decisions and the, the, the advice that he always gives. And he always used to give the advice of, you know, play the long game. That was one thing he always just said, play the long game. You know, you, you can go into that, you know, you can go into to, to try to prove a point, but actually, you know, what, what, what's, what, what's it worth in the end when, when actually things could come to fruition in a way? And I think that that's a great piece of advice, but it's also not a good piece of advice. So I think, I think know when to play the long game. I think don't try and win every battle, because if you do, you're going to come unstuck and you're going to peeve people off um, and you're going to, you know, sometimes you just have to swallow things down and, you know, they may not be what you would do or what you would think, but, you know, just, just, just for this, for the sake of ensuring that, that, you know, the overall objective can be achieved, you know, play the long game in that respect. 
But I would say that, you know, don't always hide behind that as an excuse for not making brave decisions. Because often you can say, well, I'll let that go, or I'll let that go, or I'll let that go. And you find you let everything go. And actually you go in a, in a direction that you don't control. So I would say that, that it's brilliant advice on one hand, but knowing how to use it is very important. Because if you don't, it's terrible advice because you'll end up never making the decision. Um, and, and therefore, you know, I think that, that yeah, play the long game is, is the best advice. I haven't played long game afterwards. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, I love that. Yeah, buy one, get one free. It's a bug yeah. off. <laughs> Fantastic. Gary, honestly, your story is so inspiring. It really is. And I think you've just got so much more to, to come, haven't you, with what you're achieving at EasyJet Holidays as well. So good luck with all of that. And, yeah, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's been brilliant. Um, where can people find you, Gary? Um, they can find me at easyjet.com. So gary.wilson at easyjet.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. And um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm put to shame, Jeanette, by your activity on LinkedIn. I mean, I do try to be active on LinkedIn, but I probably need to be a little bit more active. But um, yeah, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I do try to, to, to kind of engage with as many people as I possibly can on there. Um, so that, that's where I can be found. Brilliant. Well, honestly, thank you so much, Gary. I know you're a busy guy, so taking the time. No, it's been a pleasure. Um, have a wonderful month in Mallorca. I wish I was there. <laughs> <laughs> not jealous at all. Not jealous. No, not at all. It's been great speaking to you there. Thanks so much. Take care, Gary. Thanks a Take lot. Care. Bye. 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 bye.